This is Gardening Talk Back and 49216216 is the number for your questions for David and John has rung in from Madawi. Hello, John. Good afternoon, uh, folks. Uh, broad beans. I've got a problem with uh, friend's broad beans and uh, the edges of some of the, the plants are, are going brown and falling off. Mm-hmm. Well, look, so normally when you get browning on the edge of the leaves, it's normally a sign of burning. And I certainly know for a fact, uh, you know, over the last week or so that we've had some fairly dryish weather. We haven't had much rain at all. Mm. And it's always a very good idea, particularly during the wintertime, is to still keep the moisture up to your broad beans rather than letting them dry out. So, look, John, it may have just been the case where the soil may just tended to have dried a little bit throughout this uh, dry period that we're having. I don't think I'd worry too much about that as long as you just keep the moisture up to them. Remembering with broad beans, they do like the cold weather and that's the only time they will produce. Are they producing any fruit at the moment? Not as, there's a lot mm. of flowers but nothing Yes, nothing I've, actually, I've actually noticed that considerably uh, this season. I've had a lot of people say that they've got broad beans in and they look tremendous but they're not fruiting and I think that's because our conditions are becoming a little bit milder so hopefully, you know, they still will give you a crop for this season. <laughs> Another thing too, I noticed on, on some of them, uh, there seems to be little pock marks and there's sort of a bulge underneath the uh, underneath the leaf. Just um, just try and uh, have a look at that. If you can scratch that little bulbous part off, it may be just some scale that's getting onto the broad beans. Yeah. But otherwise, I would have to actually see it to know for sure exactly what it would be. Alrighty. Thank you, Doug. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, John. Right. Uh, Gardening Talkback is the program. 49216216 is the number for your misbehaving plants. Yeah, find out what's wrong with them. And John from Wickham joins us now. Hello, John. G'day, David. How are you? Good, thank you. The way. Look, I've got some roses, and is it too late to cut them back? Look, I'm glad you've mentioned that because once again, I've had quite a few people in the nursery over the last week said they've only just pruned their roses, and I think it's a great idea to actually leave them this late in the season because it means that we're practically over all of our frosty conditions. So yes, look, it's a great time to prune them back, feed them up. Of course, once you've pruned them back, make sure you do spray them with some lime sulphur because remembering with the lime sulphur, that's actually going to seal all the cuts that you've made and of course kill any old scar that may be still on the plant so now look it's a great time and particularly with the way the weather is at the moment it's nice and dry so it's not going to cause a lot of problems fungal wise with the um, fresh cuts that you're going to be making on the rose also one other thing i've got a bit of the some some of the leaves are curling and um, there's a bit of mildew on them. Yes. Well, certainly by uh, pruning them back, that's going to take all of that away from the plant. So in actual fact, it's a good idea to be doing that now. Once you've taken all of that foliage off, make sure you do put it into something and seal it so that that doesn't escape and get back out onto something else. Certainly it won't get onto the roses because they'll be completely dormant. They won't have any uh, leaves on them at all, so the, the disease is not actually going to get back onto the rose. Oh, good idea. Well, that, that's great, though. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, mate. 49216216 is the number to get your question through to David Peterson. I've got a question about pruning, too. What's the best time for pruning deciduous plants like crepe myrtles? Okay. Well, crepe myrtles actually fit into the category of now because, I mean, crepe myrtles will be no sooner shooting away for the season. So it's a great idea to actually get in and prune them back really, really severely if you haven't already done them. Now, the only 
contrary to that, Jane, is things that flower very early in the spring and one that comes to mind straight away is the maybush, the white maybush. Now, it always flowers very first and it always flowers on its previous year's wood. So therefore, you can't prune it in spring like a lot of other deciduous things. You've actually got to leave that until it finishes blooming. So any deciduous things that flower really early in the spring season, even things like our flowering peaches and plums, you should really leave those until they're finished flowering and that's when you prune them back nice and severely. So that way, by doing that, you'll get all that influx of new growth and the tree will respond really well to that. So as I said, if you prune them now, you're pruning all your flowers off, you're not going to have a show for spring, so you leave those things until after they're finished. So as I said, for the crepe myrtles, go ahead, prune them back. Remember, you can prune the crepe myrtles back to the ground without any trouble and they'll shoot away very, very easily. The harder you prune crepe myrtles back, the better they respond. There's such beautiful wood in the trunks. Yeah, and this is it. When they get really old, they've got that most beautiful, motley, old sort of look to them and it it looks really tremendous. Now... uh on 2NURFM, we've got another caller coming in, 49216216. Hello, uh, Carolyn from Belmont North. You've got a question for David. Hello, Carolyn. Yes, hello, David. I like your show. Thank you. Um, I've been given a plant and it has no name tag or anything on it. Mm-hmm. My husband has seen one in the lady's place before. It's got very fine... The leaves look like the leaves of a jacaranda tree, but they're much, much finer. Yes. And he said the flower that he saw on it looked like a little candle standing up with fluffy stuff around it. Uh, yes, uh, it could be a cassia variety of some description because cassias, there's a many different forms of cassias. But once again, um, just by the description, I can't really fully identify it. Certainly if you can get a sample to me or even take a photograph of it and send it to me, I mean, certainly I could uh, give the name out over next Monday's program. Uh, but certainly if you're passing, yes, you can bring a photograph in or even send it to me to the nursery as well. Right, it hasn't any flowers. Oh, okay. Even the leaf, even sometimes if you take a picture of the leaf and perhaps some of the stem, I can sometimes identify it from that as well. Oh, fine. Um, Thank you very much. Just one other thing. Yes. How often do you water the tomatoes? So you've got tomatoes in already? I have got a couple in, yes. All these very keen people of getting their tomatoes in nice and early in the season. Look, certainly this time of the year, I I would check them every second day to just make sure they are moist. Don't keep them too wet and cold for this time of the year still, but certainly still check them every second day. Every second day. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Caroline. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's 29 past 12 at the moment, 49216216 for your calls, your questions to David. And Jenny from Georgetown has rung in. Hello, Jenny. Hello. Uh, I'm, I'm just wondering today, David. Yes. <laughs> we all have those. <laughs> oh, this is shocking. <laughs> anyway, uh, I have a couple of questions uh, regarding pruning, of course. Yes. <laughs> Everybody's asking that today. Oh, it's very popular this time of the year, I assure you. Yes. Now, um, I've forgotten about one of them. <laughs> You're not having a good day. Oh, I'm shocking today. I've got that much on my mind. Hibiscus? Yes. 
Uh, windward pruning. Okay, now hibiscus fit into another category of pruning because we don't prune our hibiscus until at least October. So they're probably one of the later ones that we leave because they are a tropical thing, so therefore we try and leave our tropical things until just a little bit later in the season. So once we step into October, that's a good month. Okay, great. So that's hibiscus October. Uh, oleander? Oleander certainly can be done this time of the year because they're an evergreen plant, very, very vigorous. And once you prune back, back those, they will certainly shoot into growth very quickly. Great. And lastly, uh, maraya. Maraya's can also be done at this time of the year, but just remembering maraya's flower at the end of winter, early spring. So sometimes if you've got flowers on them, leave them until they finish flowering. But certainly springtime is a great time to be pruning back our maraya's because they once again will shoot back to life very quickly. Okay, great. I've done, I'm pretty much doing the right thing. Excellent. Thank you very much then, Dave. All right then. Have a lovely day. It's Thanks, Jenny. Day. It is glorious. At 28 to 1, you're listening to Gardening Talk Back. And 49216216. What was that? 49216216? That's correct, Jane. Yes. That's the number to ring. We do have a free line if you'd like to ask David a question, just to make sure you're doing everything right in your garden. <laughs> and Cole has rung in now from Belmont. Hello, Cole. G'day, Dave. What can I do for you? Um, the question on proteas. Yes. Can they be struck? Look, they can be struck, but they're very, very difficult to strike from cuttings. Um, there, there's only one nursery that I buy my proteas from, which are down in Victoria, um, and that's basically all they grow. But look, certainly you can try to grow them from cuttings. Normally, you can start to think about that once we get into springtime. And basically, all you need to do is probably take the previous year's growth, which is obviously what will be on the plant at the time, and just get yourself some seed-raising mixture or some propagation mixture, and also uh, just a cutting powder or something to that fee, a matter to dip your cutting into and then just take you know just cuttings about six inches in length and take most of the foliage off just leaving the very top foliage and then just dipping your cutting into the uh, powder and then popping them into your seed raising or propagation mixture but as I said look you may put 20 and you may only get one to strike if that so they're, they're much like camellias uh, camellias probably are easier to grow from cuttings than what proteas are so that's a that's a good way to put it yes Okay, thanks. You're welcome and good luck. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Now, proteas, are they actually a bit like waratahs? They are sort of related, yes. aren't they? Well, I mean, as far as growing well, them goes. Well, it's good you mention that, Jane, because the, the same company that grows the proteas grows the waratahs as well. So they And it's not in New South Wales. No, that's right. It's in Victoria. So they have the full range of waratahs. Remembering we not only get the red waratahs, now we get the pinks, the whites and the yellows. So they're quite unique to grow in are the garden. Are they an original colour? Did they develop like that no, by themselves? No, I, I, I think they would have been bred as the, the colours because, I mean, particularly the yellow, it's the last one that was ever produced, which is quite outstanding. Yellow. Yes, I oh, know. I've never seen I know. One. Well, you won't see many of those because when they do come on to market, they're not the cheapest things to buy as well. So now I don't want everyone rushing out thinking that they are all available at the moment because they're in limited supply just at the moment. Mm. So, But, yeah, quite unique. And, look, once they're in flower, they must be spectacular out in the garden and of course yes they are difficult to grow just like the proteas but so long as you have a nice good sunny well-drained position they are fine. Reg has rung in on 49216216 from Raymond Terrace. Hello Reg. Hello David. What can I do for um, you today? 
I've got a couple of bushes from the same family. One's called a, a geisha girl. Yes, they're Durantas. Durantas, yes. When would you prune them? Oh, look, Reg, they can be done now. They're, this is a great plant, and, I mean, any of the um, Durantas are great because they're so rapid-growing. I mean, you can cut them back to the ground if you wanted to go that far. Yeah, and well, they're batting right out. <laughs> one of them I had in a pot, and it grew that big, I had to get it out. And yes. When I took it out, I cut it back, and I had no more flowers for that year. Yes. No, we'll must see. Must the wrong time. Yes, we'll see. If you do them now, you'll actually get good growth. And, look, cut them a good two, two-thirds of the way back, Reg, you're not going to cause them any problem. In actual fact, they'll bush up beautifully for yeah, you. They're hanging right over. Start to hang right over. And, uh, yes. Now, we'll give them a good hard prune now. Good day to get out in the sunshine and just give them a nice good hard prune. All right. Thank you, David. You're welcome, Reg, and good luck. Have fun with the shears. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and now Max joins us from Madawi. Hello, Max. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Nice day, isn't it? It's a beautiful day, yes. Yeah, just a bit windy. I was going to go fishing, but anyway, <laughs> I've got, I've got, a, I've got a, uh, a nectarine or a peach tree. I don't know what it is, yes. but I grew it from a seed. Mm-hmm. there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, now, when do when you got to prune them now? Okay. Now, well, with about three foot high. Okay, then. Well, look, certainly with something only that size, I wouldn't probably do much pruning at all But because yeah. I'd let it get a fair bit of growth because with something that's been grown from seed, sometimes it just takes a little longer for it to start fruiting. So if it's only three feet in height, certainly let it get a good six feet or so yeah. in height and then think about pruning it. And yeah. then, of course, you can prune those back during winter when they are dormant and yeah. then, then they'll sp- shoot out nicely for you in the springtime. Yes, yeah. um, Well, that's what I was thinking, you know, but uh, so, um, or foul manure? Look, certainly it doesn't hurt to put some foul manure around it. That will push the growth into it for you, which is exactly what you're wanting. Yes. Now, it's growing real good, actually. I've I've got about three of them from seed, and uh, I've given them away, like, you know, but I have to keep one myself. But um, can I... um, uh, tomatoes. So when's, when's the best time to put them in? I'll, well, look, I'll put them, you know, I put them in a bit late sometimes. Yes. You know. Well, certainly in your area, being Madawi, that's a very cold and flat area. So I wouldn't suggest to plant those at least until September in your area. Right. They are only just becoming available in the garden centres, but just be careful for those people that are considering that because they really need to be protected against the cold weather. So as I said, for you, Max, probably once we get into September, you should be fairly safe in putting them in. All right. Well, thanks, David. Thanks very much for that. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. And uh, thank you... Max. Max, thank you, Max. (laughs) But we're staying in Madawi because Lorraine is joining us, 49216216. Hello, Lorraine. Hello, David. How are you? I think it's very busy in Madawi today. (laughs) Yes, it is, yes. Well, I've got some um, bird of paradise plants. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just wondering, you know, like they grow, I prune the side side leaves, you know, off. Um, Can you prune prune them down, you know, you can prune them. You can prune them down to the ground, Lorraine, and they'll shoot oh. back up for you. Oh, good! Because <laughs> that's great. I didn't know. I've been pruning the side bits off, you know, because yes. they grow a bit mad, mm-hmm. you know. 
Now, well, look, oh, certainly, if, if you're wanting to start with nice fresh foliage and a nice set of new mm. flowers, you can prune them basically right back to the ground and then they'll send up all this wonderful new growth for you. So, no, look, don't hesitate in oh, doing that if you wanted to. I've been hesitating all those years. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, they'll certainly grow back for you. You could never kill a bird of paradise. No, and they're hard to get out of the ground. They too. certainly are, yes. yes. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, David. You're welcome, Lorraine. Thanks, Bye-bye. Lorraine, and they are such attractive oh, plants, aren't they? Just, aren't they? Yes. Uh, we're moving to Charlestown now. Bob has rung in. Hello, Bob. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. That's good. David, nutgrass. Yes. As quick as I dig it out, it uh, reappears. Yes. Is there any way you can get rid of it? Well, look, the only way that I normally suggest to get rid of nutgrass is a bit similar to onion weed. It's got to, you've got to use something like the glyphosate or the Roundup on it, but certainly if it's in the grass, it's a very tedious job because you've either got to paint it on the blades of grass or else just wipe it over somehow. Now, of course, in saying that, Bob, you don't need to cover the entire blade of grass with right. the Zero Roundup. It's just a matter of dabbing a little bit on the blade so that that goes down into the bulb. Now, I must stress that you won't get rid of it just with one application, particularly if the onion, the nutgrass is fairly mature, because you need a fair amount of chemical to actually get down into that nut to kill it outright. So right. you may need to do it, you know, two or three times. But that's really the only chemical that is recommended to get rid of it. Right. So just keep at it. Just keep at it. And as I said, be very, very careful, particularly if you are uh, particular about your grass, just to dab it on the individual blades so that you don't get it on your existing grass. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. You're welcome and good luck. Bye now. Bye bye now. This is Gardening Talk Back. It is 19 to 1 on 2 and you are FM and your questions very welcome. 49216216. And Louise has rung in from Cameron Park. Hello, Louise. Oh, hello, David. Look, I have a really interesting curly sort of question for you today. On Friday, I have, I came home and I have a ficus or fig tree Mm -hmm. in a terracotta pot on the driveway and it was and it's been dropping its little yellow berries for a while and I came home and it was actually smoking. Oh. Smouldering. Okay. And when I looked down the little berries were actually red mm-hmm. and mind you and I have not been drinking at this stage. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. I so and it was just smouldering. It was just all like smouldering smoke coming out of it. So I mean I filled it full of water, I kept watering it, watering it, watering it, and I put it out, and all those little yellow berries that had dropped down, well, they'd all burnt, like, and gone brown and black. Mm. So any idea what I've been doing that I haven't been doing anything to it? It's most unusual, Louise. I haven't heard of that before. No. Um, I mean, yes, I mean, I'd probably have to see it to believe what was actually happening, so... Well, yeah, my husband and I, we got out the car... And we just could not believe it. Like, I have not got no idea mm. why it was doing it, but yeah, it was just letting off like, like, like a slow combustion yes. type of thing. That's very unusual. It's a pity you didn't take a quick snapshot of uh, it. <laughs> I should have done, but oh, don't you have 2020 vision in hindsight? <laughs> but no, I really can't answer that, Louise. So um, I couldn't either, but yes. my husband said, you'll have to ring on Monday yes. and tell David what's been happening. And I said, well, yeah, I probably should have. And it actually, you could smell the burning. Oh, okay. The, really weird. Yes. The little pods. Yeah, yes. I know. And I mean, it's not like anyone could walk past and throw a cigarette butt. Yes. It's right yes. up next to my driveway, yes. like the garage door. But I thought maybe somebody else has had something similar. 
Well, that, that's yeah, that's good because I mean, in saying that, I mean, people may sort of have the same thing in which they will, of course, ring in and let us know. But no, I haven't encountered that at all. So that's quite a mystery to me. Yeah, well, it's a mystery to me too, <laughs> sweetheart. So I just thought I'd share it with the listeners and see if somebody yeah. else has had the same problem. Great idea, Louise. And you can call in right now on to a new RFM because this is Gardening Talkback, and Linda has rung in from Buff Point. Is it? Yes, it is. Great. Hello, Linda. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. That's good. David, just a quick question. Um, I'm new to the area. Uh, my home is uh, south-facing, the front of the home, and I've just laid a new garden bed. And I'm just wondering what time can I start planting my new plants for the season? Look, certainly we always step into spring in September, but I try and bring it a little bit forward into August. And certainly with the weather that we're having at the moment, I think it's a tremendous time to start thinking about planting or your, or your new season stock. Okay, so even though that the sun is facing south where it's quite cool, it's not too cold to put plants in there? I wouldn't think so because, I mean, most things that are planted in the south are quite used to the cooler conditions. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not familiar. Where, whereabouts is Buff Point? Uh, near Budgie Oh, okay. All right then. Yes. So you're, you're still in a fairly coolish area. So yes. you should be still getting plants that still will be able to take those cooler conditions. But yes, yeah, certainly if you've um, started off your new garden, I would certainly go ahead very, very soon in planting a lot of things because that way the earlier you get them in, of course, the quicker they're going to bounce into growth for you. All right. Thanks very much for your help. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. 49216216. We've got some lines waiting for you to call in right now and get your question into Gardening Talk Back. Um, wattle, David, is that yes. easy to grow in the garden? It is an easy plant to grow in the garden. I mean, we, we don't see a lot of wattles these days, but because we see, I mean, we see them out in the bush, and if you've noticed driving, you'll start to see them in, coming into flower because they always do late winter, early spring. But look, certainly if you do plant a wattle in the garden, remember it's only a short-lived plant. So, I mean, you could have a wattle that can live up to about 15 years and then all of a sudden it will die because that's its lifespan. So we use wattles as fill-in trees in the garden. For example, if you've got other big growing things around it, the wattle will fill in temporarily, then it will die out and then the other trees will grow up around it. That's interesting. (laughs) So they, they are sort of fairly susceptible to grubs too, aren't they? Borers, and this is one of the most, uh, this is one of the things that often gets into wattles. And you can often see this by, you know, holes that are actually in the wattle tree, particularly in the, the junctions of the branches, you'll often notice a hole. When you do see that, you'll often see sawdust coming out or sap coming out. If you do see that, you really need to get on the top of that problem very, very quickly. There is a couple of methods that you can use, but certainly if you do have uh, borers, just get into your local nursery and just inquire what that treatment is. So while on the subject of wattles do you think of wattle day as being the first of august or the first of september um let me think He's about on the that spot. <laughs> it would have to be the first of september of course because that is officially the first day of spring so you think that makes it australian uh, we've got our own oh, plant yes. there yeah, i would fine. think so yes. okay uh 49216216 that's the number mel's rung in from ye hello mel Hi, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Listen, I just want to ask a question. I've got two geisha girls. Yes. Now, they're in the same position, just one at one end of the veranda and one at one end of the veranda. Mm-hmm. Now, one's growing up as your regular tree. The other one's got beautiful cascades on it. Um, can you explain that? 
Well, look, certainly with uh, with any plant that you may have in the garden, you may have two of the one thing. Sometimes you will get variations of growth. Sometimes it depends on what actual cuttings were taken from what particular plant. So they will all vary. Nothing is ever exactly the same as one another. For the one that's growing straight up, you can possibly try and uh, promote extra willowy growth. But I mean, you may have heard my caller earlier saying that it's time to prune those back now. So even if you pruned it back very, very severely, it may bush up and give you an entirely different growth. But there's no explanation except that they could have come off different stock originally. Okay, so it's the right time to do it now? Oh, look, by all means, you can prune those back very, very hard at this time of the year and they will start to regrow very quickly. Just make sure when you do prune things back in the garden or in a pot, if a case may be, make sure you put a good fertiliser, a good complete fertiliser around it because that will then promote growth very quickly for you. Okay, thank you so much. All right, it'd be very very interesting to actually see once you've done this what actual growth comes out in the following season for you, whether it does look any different. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Mel. And your questions very welcome. Four nine two one six two one six. David, is it time still to do something about those bindi eyes? Well, actually, it's coming up to that time, Jane, because Not I too mean, late. I know that we've had people actually right through the winter months still spraying for bindies. Look, certainly you can do it throughout the winter months, just bearing in mind throughout the winter months it is cold. So therefore, nothing's really growing that quickly. And uh, therefore, the chemical works much slower. But certainly now that we've stepped into um, our, our sort of early spring, <laughs> we can start thinking about spraying for bindis once our weather warms up and particularly when we've got good sunny days because remembering when we've got good sunny days, this actually activates the chemical to work much faster. No need to do it on a very overcast cold day because the chemical doesn't work too efficiently. So certainly today would be an excellent day if you're out of the wind, uh, certainly a great day to be spraying those bindis. But from now on right through, just remembering that little trick, you must actually spray your bindis three days after you've mown so you get a little bit of growth on the actual bindi or vice versa once you've sprayed your bindis make sure you don't mow the lawn for three days afterwards and that gives the bindi a chance to actually start working so yeah i'd be starting to think about um, spraying your bindis uh, from now on jane so why do they have to have a little bit of growth on them to, to because the more area surface area there is on the weed the more area there is for the chemical to actually land on that surface so if we if say for example if we actually spray the uh, sort of mow the lawn and there's no surface area on the weed, we're only spraying a stem and the, the chemical will not work on the stem. So that, why, that's why it needs the surface area of the weed. You're listening to Gardening Talk Back at six minutes to one and four nine two one six two one six. That's the number. And who have we got on the line now? Hello. Hello. Yes. Can I ask your name? Terry from Maryland. Terry. Hello, hello, Terry. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, David. Um, David, I have a um, paved driveway, mm-hmm. and I have a, a grass growing between the pavers. Yes, and it's the most uh, hardest thing in the world to kill. Mm-hmm. Even the car running over it constantly doesn't kill it. Yes, it just springs back up again. Uh, where it, the car wasn't running, it was uh, growing well. It was flourishing. Uh, I sprayed it with zero, and um, it I mixed up pretty strong, and it's killed most of it, but it's still green in some spots. Okay. So, and I was just wondering what that was, 
whether what sort of grass or what sort of weed it is. Well, of course, without once again, without actually seeing it, I couldn't say what sort of grass it was. I think, I think Terry, probably what you're best to do, I mean, certainly it sounds like a, a grass that the zero or the glyphosate is actually working on, but because it's not getting right down to the root system, that energy that it's got left will automatically just push it back into growth again. So once it actually pushes back into growth, that would be the time when you need to hit it again with the zero or roundup so that you're actually hitting that really, really young fresh grass so that that draws it down much quicker into the root system but certainly i mean just continue using the zero roundup there are other other products that you could use but they stay in the ground far too long and they travel in the ground so that's why zero is a good one to use because it doesn't travel in the ground it only kills whatever you get it on to mm-hmm. right okay and another quick one please yes. um I've just pulled out a plumbago tree mm-hmm. and I had it alongside, along a fence, a colour bond fence, and I want something that when I trimmed it back it looked awful, it was ragged and so I thought it's past its use by date so I've pulled it out or pulling it out. Uh, what can I plant there that, that'll look nice alongside the fence? Well, I tell you what, we've been talking a little bit about Geisha Girl Durantis today, and that's a great shrub to put in because it can be controlled just by pruning, and it still has a blue flower, so it's a bit similar to the plumbago, only that it has a bit of white in the flower as well. So I'd be looking out for a Geisha Girl uh, Duranta. Uh, they're, they're not really quite in season at the moment, but certainly once we get right into spring, I'd look out at that and have a look at that and see whether that would suit you. But it certainly will grow as quickly as what the plumbago has grown. Right, and uh, it grows, what, about five foot? The uh, it it five reaches foot. around about two or three metres, that's right, right. yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you have them in stock there? We don't, that's what I'm saying, it's not quite in oh, season at the yet. moment. I know yeah. I had one or two there, but they have been cut back for the season. So yeah. what, another few weeks and they should be starting to appear better. Right here. Okay, thanks, thanks Thanks, Bye. Terry, and I think we've got time to talk to Karen from Charlestown before we go to the news. Hello, Karen. Hi, David. Hi. Um, I've been given some advanced gum trees. They must be about eight, ten foot tall. Mm-hmm. The best way to plant those in the garden uh, without without killing them. So tell me what they're in, Karen, at the moment. Are they in a pot or in a bag? In a bag. A okay, bag. so what you're needing to do is just to slip the bag down the side. Try not to disturb the root system too much. Just okay. make sure that you prepare an area in the garden that you're wanting to plant it. So dig that over, dig a nice good hole, because I should imagine it's got quite a substantial root system at the moment. Um, and then once you've planted that in the hole, make sure you water that in really well. And then just water it in with some sea sol, and that will actually start stimulating the root system to grow back fairly quickly. But the most important thing is do not disturb the root system of that because if you do, you'll probably lose the gum tree because they will be very susceptible, very touchy towards any movement in that root system. Right, okay. So no fertilisers, just the seaweed? No, certainly I'd let it settle in first. Only use the sea sole for probably three applications at 14-day intervals, but that's about all I would use at this stage. Let it settle for at least three or four weeks till we get right into spring, and then you could pop some native fertiliser around it. Okay, good, good. Now, just one more quick question. If we can be very, very quick, yes. Once they um, flower and fruit, do the strawberries flower and fruit again? They do, they quite often do. You normally split strawberries probably once every three years and then when you do that you take all the young shoots off and then they're the things that you replant. But you only need to do that once every three years. 
Okay, so the same plan will keep fruiting. That's right, Good. yes. Thanks very okay. much. And David, we're taking calls, 49216216. Dot has rung in now from Raymond Terrace. Hello, Dot. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. I've got a question. My late mother gave me a lavender bush. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting a bit scraggly. Can I, does it grow by cutting or do you have to, how do I propagate another one. Okay, well it certainly does grow by cuttings and look this is a great opportunity to do that because lavenders can be pruned back at this time of the year as well in answer to those questions out there that people are probably thinking to ask me Um, because lavenders need to be pruned back now in spring so that they promote some really good growth. So Dot, what you can do is you can just give yours a little bit of a light prune and then all those little top cuttings, you know, the very, very ends, they're the cuttings you need to try and propagate. So it only requires a cutting only about two or three inches in length, so it's only the very, very tip of the the, the actual stem. Take the flower off if there's any flowers on it and then get yourself some seed-raising mixture or propagation mixture. You can get you can use some cutting powder if you wish. Otherwise, you can just stick them straight into this mixture, and they should take fairly easily. And do they also grow? Because of my health reasons, mm-hmm. do they? I'm trying to repot everything in, um, or put everything in pots. Yes. Um, they'll grow okay in a big pot? They certainly will. Look, so with, with growing them in pots, you can move the pots around according to the sun, which is exactly what they need. They love it in a really nice sunny spot and they'll respond really well. And, and particularly a lot of the newer lavenders, which are fairly dwarf, you know, they will stay fairly short and clumpy anyway without them letting them get, letting them get too straggly. And can you also um, please tell me what, what's another one sort of that has flowers? that I can put in pots as well. Well, look, i tell you what does look really nice, and that's the butterfly plant. It's called Gaura, and it's very, very pretty. You can get them in pink or white. They're a wispy sort of thing, but, look, they look tremendous. They, they're, once again, a thing that you can grow. They'll flower. You can prune them back, and they'll just reshoot out again and reflower once again. So it's called the butterfly bush or Gaura. Do you have those in stock yet or not? Uh, no, it's just a little bit early for those. Once again, uh-huh. once we step into September, that's when they will all become available. I am starting to do a lot of compiling of my ordering now, so once we get into September, that's when everything will be available. Well, thank you for your help. You're welcome, Dot. And we're moving now to Dungog and Dallas. Hello, Dallas. Hello. I have some unusual fruit on my tangelo tree this year. Do you? Um the tangelo trees have been cropping for a few years, and this year I've had three fruit mm-hmm. which are of sweet potato shape. Oh, okay. Now, I'm wondering <laughs> uh, what might have caused that, but I don't expect an answer to that. But with the fruit... <laughs> well, yes, that's most unusual to actually get it. So it's long, a sort of long fruit that it's getting now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, only three fruit right. on one tree. Yes, uh, 70 to 80 millimetres long yes. and 30 millimetres diameter. Yes. Look, this would be most interesting just to, um, you know, either take one of them off to cut it open to see what's inside and leave the other two there to mature through until they're going to finally mature to see what they end up in being. I have no answer to that, Dot, once again. My goodness, this is two in one show that I haven't had a full answer to. That's this most is, unusual. This is uh, that. Well, the... the I have picked one fruit yes. and one has fallen off. Okay. Uh, so they are ready to harvest okay. now, but I'm wondering if the fruit was of any interest to a horticultural group. I would, I would really love to see, you know, 
exactly by a photograph or some, even if you can email something to uh, the station so that I can have a look at it as well just to see what it looks like, to see whether I can enlighten you any further on it. As far as anyone interested in it goes, I think it may be just a mutation which often gets you, you get on plants, so it may be just a one-off thing that you'll ever have on the plant. Okay, well, I'll get the fruit down to uh, 2NURFM in the next week or so. That'll be lovely. Thank you. Okay. All right. And that's that's great. Thank you, Dallas. And uh, if you've got a, a picture you'd like to send to David too uh, so that he can tell yes. you what's on the go, then uh, the uh, the email address at the station is contact at 2NURFM.com. And you're listening to Gardening Talk back at the moment. And David Peterson's here and just dying to answer all your questions about your garden. And David from Stockton has rung in with a question. Hello, David. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Last summer, we had a, a blue-tongued lizard that decided to have babies in our yard. Oh, okay. And I read up on them and said that they have up to about 20. Yes. I know about two. One of them for most of winter, has been in my hothouse sitting on a bale of hay every day sunning himself. <laughs> but he's recently disappeared, and I'm not sure whether he's gone into hibernation because I think they do that, don't they? They do that during the winter months, yes. Uh, the other one was in a, a car tire that I've got with some... Um, um, I had some sweet potatoes in it. Mm-hmm. When I harvested the sweet potatoes the other day, I dug him up, so I sort of put him back down uh, in there. Now, my concern here, well, the concern that I have is that um, snail bait, um, yes. while they eat my snails and that's good, then there's not enough of them to eat all the snails. And I was just wondering if the snail bait would hurt them. Uh, yes, it does. And this is why we, we suggest if you've got blue tongues in the garden, never to put the snail bait around because it is a chemical, so therefore it would affect them. So uh, that probably answers your question that it will affect the blue tongues. So it sounds like a torch in a lot of late nights. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> so, yes. So, I mean, normally when you have blue tongues, you normally don't have to worry about snail bait because they normally do the job for you quite easily. Yeah. Particularly in your case where you've got a family of them now. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully yes. they've been around. They've been around for a few years. But okay. These are the, the little ones, they're about 15 centimetres longer. Okay. So. Oh, well, good luck with them. Okay, thank you very Thanks, much. David. Thanks, Bye-bye. David. And, uh, well, yeah, blue tongues... Um, And snails, do snails hibernate in the winter as well? They sort of do, yes, and that's probably why that um, the blue tongues hibernate as well. I I think most of those sorts of lizard things do hibernate during wintertime, so it's perfect timing, isn't it? And reptiles in general. Sounds fair. Robert has rung in 49216216 from Bonnells Bay. Hello, Robert. Hello, David. Uh, A couple of months ago, my wife panted out some hollyhocks. Mm Mm-hmm. All they seem to be doing is growing in masses of green with no flowers or anything on. They will. They grow extremely large. You just keep thinking they're going to grow taller and taller and taller, but they will eventually form their flowers. Now, in some cases with hollyhocks, they sometimes don't even bear flowers the first year, so that's why you've got to carry them over into the next season. But look, certainly uh, for the ones that I have seen, they will eventually form their flowers. Even if they don't form their flowers until spring, they will form some form of flower. But So you've just got to be a little bit patient with those because they do take quite a long time. Yeah, because a couple of the bushes out there up over three feet yes. high. Yes. Oh goodness, they'll grow. They'll grow higher than I've seen them up to about six feet or so in height. And this is why you've got to stake them because they do become very top heavy once they've got their flowers on them. 
All right. So, so just wait and... Wait and be very, very patient for those, but I'm, I assure you when they do flower, they're quite spectacular. Right, Alan. Thank you. Sounds good. And uh, hollyhocks, they like walls, don't they, to grow against? Well, that's right, the warmth from the walls and, of course, the protection against the wind because that's one thing that's a killer to them. You get one gust of wind and it just snaps them off, and that's why I say they really do need to be staked. Betty has rung in now from Bateau Bay on 49216216. Hello, Betty. Uh, hello. Um, I'm having trouble with uh, my cooch lawn. Yes. seems to be dying in patches, mm-hmm. and I thought it might have been lawn grub and bought some spray, but um, the lady at the nursery said it's really a bit early, so I threw some soapy water out and nothing much came up, a few odd insects, but not lawn grub. <laughs> well, that's what I would expect you to tell me because it's exactly right. I mean, it's too cold for any insects underneath the ground during this time of the year. We don't notice any signs of any insect movement until at least late September, early October, until the ground starts to warm up. Look, certainly the only other thing, Betty, that may have been causing that, sometimes you get a fungal disease in grasses, which does cause a lot of brown patches. You can actually just spray the lawn just with a product called Mancazeb, and that will actually correct that for you Um, and then once we get into spring it will just come back to life as good as ever so if you just get hold of some mancazeb just give your lawn a spray with that i'm sure that would uh, fix it up quite easily for you would it be lack of fertilisation? <laughs> well, not really, because um, if, it was, if it was lack of fertiliser, normally it would you know, be dying in all sorts of areas. It wouldn't be just in isolated patches. So I just think it may be just a little bit of fungal disease that just needs correcting until we get back into the spring again. Okay, All right. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Now, uh, it is 22 past one on 2NURFM's Gardening Talkback. And, David, it is a brand-new month, and that means we have a winner for Gardening Talkback. We do. Walkback. So we must apologise for all those people that have been waiting Hanging simply on. after the one o'clock news when I was going to announce it. So the winner for July is congratulations goes to Louise Brooker of Cameron Park. So, Louise, you are the winner of the prize for July. The station will be getting in contact with you very, very soon. Well done. And, of course, we've still got time for a few more of your questions. Elaine has rung in from Charlestown. Hello, Elaine. Uh, Good afternoon. Um, I've turned my calendar over, and from last year I've written down liquid feed camellias. Mm -hmm. But I haven't said what liquid feed to feed them with. Okay. So is that thrive or what? It would be. It would be basically something that's actually going to help promote the growth. Remembering sea salt when it's used is only to promote root system growth, whereas all your other fertilisers are basically designed for promoting flowers or fruit or even foliage. So this is the season to start liquid feeding uh, all of those things in the garden, uh, including your camellias. All right. So what about uh, gardenias? Yep, the same thing. Yes, the same thing. Look, this is excellent. I mean, cow manure is great to use on all of those things like camellias, azaleas, rhododendrons, gardenias, all of those things because they're basically all surface rooting plants. So, therefore, just a nice uh, little uh, thin layer of cow manure over these things will pay off for you eventually. All right, then. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And we're moving to Brankston, and Deirdre has a question for David. Hello, Deirdre. Hi, David. I've come in late on your program today, unfortunately. That's all right. But, um, what I want to do, I've decided to do, is um, put some potatoes in this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got above-ground beds, 
Now, how do I prepare the ground and when do I plant and what variety is good? All right. Well, we need to get our potatoes in very, very quickly because the season's nearly finished for putting those in. So you oh, really yes. just, yes, you really need to dig your ground over, add some very, very good compost to really make it nice and rich because the potatoes love it nice and rich. If you can heal the ground, that's well and good, but you don't have to heal the ground. It no. just gives the potato a bit more extra drainage, particularly when you've got the potatoes on because you don't want the moisture sitting around those new potatoes so if you can heal the ground and mulch it uh, with some uh, straw or some sugar cane loosen anything like that at all they will come up through that of course they will come up very very quickly Uh, once they start to die down that's when your potatoes are being produced underneath the ground yes i know i remember growing them years and years ago but i just had a just like to do it again. Yes, now because there are many <laughs> varieties of potatoes. Sorry, there are many varieties of potatoes that are available at the moment. They are becoming short in supply now that, of course, as I said, we are at the end yes. of the season. So just pop into your nursery if you haven't already bought them. Just go through the varieties with the person that's there, and they'll tell you a little bit about each one of those. Okay, that sounds good. And just another quick question. Mm-hmm. I have sooty mould on my gardenias plus my hibiscus. The hibiscus is right next door to the um, gardenia. What's the best thing to spray them with? Well, look, one of the best products to use on sooty mould, which is caused by a scale, is anti-scale because yes. this will cover your scale as well as your sooty mould. So it's a good idea to try and get in fairly quickly so that you get ready for the oncoming growth. Yes, I know. Yes, the <laughs> gardenias will be wanting to... Yes, to um, flower soon. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you, Dave. Thank You're you, welcome. Deirdre. And uh, I must say it's the first time I've used, heard the word hill used as a verb oh, okay. to hill the ground. Yes. So where do you plant the potato in the hill? Okay. <laughs> They're planted... Um, basically just about six inches down into the hill but then when the potatoes are forming they form within the hill because if you can imagine the potatoes forming within the hill they're not right on ground level or actually under the existing ground level where all the moisture usually is so they're actually in the hill which is well drained and that stops the potatoes from rotting away the way to go. See what you learn yeah. when you're on this program, it's just Jane. Just amazing, David. Now, Robert's <laughs> rung in from Rankin Park. It's 26 past one, and we've still got a few more minutes of David's time. He has to go around one thirty. But, Robert, you've got a question for David. Hello, Robert. Hello, Jane. Look, if I do get cut off, it's because I'm in a terrible area. I'm okay. on Bluetooth in a mobile. Um, first one, uh, can I transplant a musket grape this time of year? I have a musket grape that bore fruit when I first put it in, but since then, trees have come up around it, and um, I don't think it's getting enough sunlight to bear fruit. Okay. Well, yes, certainly if you get in very, very quickly because the grapes will nearly be starting to shoot away from the se- for the season, make sure you prune it right back and then lift it as quickly and move it as quickly as you possibly can. In a sunnier area. Okay. okay. Thank yep. you. Can I prune a grape myrtle now, or is it too late? No, it's not late by any means. Certainly go ahead and prune them as hard as you possibly can, and that will bring up some really good growth, Robert. That's the one that stops the, uh, the sun from getting to the grapes. I'll oh, okay. prune it and move the grapes. <laughs> good idea. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And Kerry joins us from the junction. Hello, Kerry. Hi, David. Um, I've got a question about crucifix orchids. Nice. I've just just come back from um, Brisbane with a variety of colours. So I just wanted to know how to plant them 
and what would be the best position here in Newcastle. Okay. You can throw them on the ground and they'll still grow for you, Kerry, (laughs) (laughs) because they have a lot of aerial roots. But quite often you can just use a very good premium potting mixture and just pot just a small portion of it into the soil. And that way, because you'll find as it's growing, it'll always have these aerial roots, which, of course, you can just keep cutting off and replanting new ones. So position-wise, I know that they, um, when I used to grow them years ago, they will take any sort of position, whether it be in shade, full sun, semi-shade. So they adapt to any position in the garden at all. Okay, Mike. Extremely hardy. Okay, great. All right. Thanks, David. You're welcome. Bye-bye. And we're almost at the end of gardening talk back at the moment. I'm running out of room on my page, Jane. You certainly are. There's been lots of really great calls today. Um, We may know we're just gone. So do we, in fact, need to think about who of all our callers today with their interesting questions is the one who's we, going we do, to win the We prize. do. I, I do have a winner, but let's first of all go through the um, the prize first of all, which consists of this beautiful little Pieris or Christmas cheer, lovely little plant that only grows to about a metre or so in height in a semi-shaded position in the garden, nice and cool. We've got the garden apron. We've got a bottle of the Conker ready to use, which is that all-purpose insecticide, and also this the container of Sea Organic, which is that uh, seaweed fertiliser that could be used on the garden or in pots. And I I thought I might give it to, uh, is it Karen of Charlestown? She rang about the gum as well as the strawberries. So, right. Karen, all you really need to do is make your way to Walls End Community Nursery. Remembering that's on the corner of Crowders and Lake Road Walls End. One condition is try and get in before next Monday's program where I will have a brand new gift to give away next Monday. David Peterson, thank you for your wealth of information. Thank you, Jane, for your uh, time here today and I hope you've learnt something today. I've learnt lots today. I think I need to come more often. <laughs> Good gardening, everyone. <laughs> and that's Gardening Talk Back. Back next Monday after the midday news.